0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... It will not change the dynamics of the conflict with Somalia... That's uh, independent conflict resolution expert Dr. Kingsley Makubela, who says the killing of al-Shabaab's leader will likely have little impact on the terror group. Details coming up also. Peace talks between Ethiopia's federal government and Tigrayan rebels have been delayed. Lesotho is voting today with few hopes to end unstable coalitions. And Uganda is about to receive 100 doses of a trial vaccine for the Ebola Sudan strain. These stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Diplomats say African Union-sponsored peace talks planned for this weekend between Ethiopia's federal government and Tigrayan rebels have been delayed due to logistical problems. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
2: AU Commission Chairperson Musafaki Kemahmet invited the leaders of the warring parties to attend a summit in South Africa, according to a leaked letter. The talks were due to be mediated by AU Special Envoy Olusugen Obasanjo, alongside former South African Deputy President Kumzili Malambo Nkuka and former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. Ethiopia's federal government said Wednesday it had accepted the invitation. The Tigray rebels said they were ready to attend, but short clarification on logistics, security arrangements and the role of international observers. Diplomatic sources told VOA that the talks were pushed back while logistics and other issues concerning the structure of the talks were hammered out. A five-month ceasefire between the government and the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front broke down in August. Last month, the Tigray rebel leadership claims Eritrea had launched an offensive into their region in support of Ethiopian federal forces. In response, they called on every single Tigrayan to join the fight. This week, an airstrike in the town of Dero in northwest Tigray killed 65 civilians, according to aid workers and the Tigray forces. The federal government has said its strikes in the area have focused on military targets. Fred Harter, for VOA News, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
1: As reported, peace talks between Ethiopia's government and rebels from the country's Tigray region that had been announced for this weekend in South Africa has been postponed. Why the postponement and why the need for negotiations are some of the questions I paused to Professor John Mukumambaku, non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institute.
3: The official announcement, I mean, the official announcement from the uh, African Union is that the talks were postponed for logistical reasons. That's what they say, that... uh, They were postponing the talks because they had not yet been able to resolve some logistical issues associated with uh, uh, holding the talks. Now, what that means is not really clear because that could be some kind of euphemism for the fact that the two parties may not. Be in agreement on what the structure of the talk is going to be. Remember that uh, the government in Tigray had already complained that the invitation letter was sent out without consulting them, and that in in as much as they were interested in the talks, they were not going to accept any in position of a format for the talks by the African Union, and that they would accept the results of the talks, the outcomes of the talks, only on condition that they consider the process to be fair and impartial. So it is possible, uh, we really don't know, but it is possible that uh, one or both sides were not happy with the structure of the the process and were making an effort to have it changed.
1: What do both sides want from this negotiation if it ever uh, happens? Is there a genuine desire for peace from both sides?
3: I think that uh, given the the extent of uh, devastation In uh, Tigray, in fact, according to credible reports, more than 5 million people in Tigray are now without services, uh, especially things like food, uh, medical services, electricity is not there, phone service has broken down the internet is not working, banking and financial services are not working, many children are not going to school. In fact, uh, I believe that the education system in Tigray has not been functioning for the last uh, two years, since November 2020. And so I think that uh, from the point of view of Tigray, they would want uh, a ceasefire that would allow them to begin to reconstruct their country. They would also want the withdrawal of all troops. Uh, In fact, the Tigray government has uh, indicated that as part of the talks, it wants all foreign troops to be withdrawn from the state of Tigray. Now, what they, they didn't explain what they meant by foreign troops, whether that means Eritrean uh, troops, Ethiopian federal troops, or both. We really don't know. But they want that done. They want a ceasefire so that they, they, the state can begin the process of reconstruction. Uh,
1: professor, the deepening conflict also has raised international alarm with the United States this week, for example, announcing that its special envoy to the region, Mike Hammer, would be making his second visit to Ethiopia in as many months to seek a halt to the fighting. So the international participation, would that help in the negotiations?
3: International uh, participation always helps. The problem is that when you bring in external uh, parties, you always have to be very careful because external parties come in with their own interests. If you remember what happened uh, during the previous US administration with respect to the GERD, where uh, Mr. Trump, then president of the US, came into the negotiations over the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam and basically took the side of Egypt and event effectively derail the negotiations. So one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that, yes, uh, international assistance is always very important. After all, when the ceasefire is achieved, reconstruction or in uh, uh, Tigray will require a lot of uh, financial assistance, and countries such as the U.S. and uh, economic organizations such as the EU will become very important in providing assistance that can be used for that uh, reconstruction. So those groups are important. But what we have to keep in mind as Africans is that external groups always come into these kinds of arrangements with their own objectives.
1: That was Professor John Mokum Mbaku, non-resident fellow at the Brookings Institute. He talked to me from the U.S. state of Utah. The small kingdom of Lesotho, surrounded by South Africa, is voting today with more than 50 parties competing and few hopes of an end to the country's run of unstable coalitions. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg.
4: Lesotho's ruling all basutu Convention, or ABC, is vying for re-election in Friday's parliamentary polls. But whether it's maintained a majority of support among the mountain kingdom's 1.5 million voters is uncertain. The former British colony has seen coups, attempted coups, and general political instability since independence in 1966. The past decade has been marked by regular political turnover, with no one premier managing to hold on to power for a full five-year term. The ABC came into power in 2017. Current Prime Minister Moketsi Majoro is not seeking re-election, having been replaced as party leader this year by former Health Minister Nakaku Kabi. The outgoing parliament also failed to pass a series of reforms aimed at improving political stability. The ABC now faces fierce opposition. There are more than fifty parties running for control of the one hundred and twenty seat parliament. The leading opponent and second largest party is the Democratic Congress. But a new party revolution for prosperity could also make headway at the polls. It's the best resource and led by millionaire Sam Medicani, who is believed to be the richest man in the country, where nearly a third of citizens are estimated to live on less than $2 a day. Whether voters turn out strongly for any party is another unknown, after less than half of those registered cast a ballot in 2017. Results are expected next week. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg.
1: You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehees Wuhib in Washington. Some experts on the conflict in Somalia say the killing this past weekend of a co-founder of the Al-Qaeda-linked Al-Shabaab terror group isn't going to have much effect on its activities. U.S. forces say they killed Abdullah Nadir, who was also a prosecutor in Al-Shabaab's Sharia courts in a drone strike near the town of Haramka on Somalia's southern coast. But barely 24 hours after his death, Al-Shabaab launched another attack in which more than 20 people
5: were killed. Darren Taylor has more. In a statement, Somalia's Ministry of Information described Nadir as notorious and Al-Shabaab's head preacher and financial director. The U.S. government had put a bounty of $3 million on his head According to U.S. intelligence, Nadir was next in line to take over leadership of al-Shabaab from current chief Ahmed Diri, who's in poor health. Independent conflict resolution expert Dr. Kingsley Makubela has been studying al-Shabaab since its inception 17 years ago. He says although Nadir had a dominant role enforcing Sharia law in Somalia, he'll be relatively easy to replace within the structure of the Islamic Fundamentalist Organization. It will not change the dynamics
6: of the conflict in Somalia. And I think the international community keep on implementing the same strategy in dealing with the Somali conflict to eliminate leaders of al-Shabaab. And they expect different results. But Al-Shabaab has become much more stronger. Al-Shabaab's outreach has moved to Uganda, Kenya. They even have, in Seychelles, they have operatives there. Now in Mozambique, we've been told Al-Shabaab is involved.
5: Makubela's view is that killing Al-Shabaab's leaders won't end or even decrease the conflict because the group's high level of organization means they're quickly and simply replaced by others. If you look at what
6: Al-Shabaab was in 2005 when it was formed and what it is now, it is a very formidable force now. A few months ago, they attacked a hotel in Mogadishu, and they held that hotel siege for close to three
5: days. Then a large number of people were killed. It was very difficult to break that siege. He's convinced, though, that unlike other militant organizations, Al-Shabaab would be willing to negotiate some sort of peace. There's a need to reach
6: out to the elders. Because remember, these militants, they get their support from the elders. And they're supported by clans. And clan elders provide military support to them. I mean, if you reach out to the Hawi elders and the Darod elders, who are really fundamental in terms of this conflict, it will be very helpful. But there's no understanding in terms of the Americans. You tell them about a group, they want to kill the leader. Killing the leader is not resolving the problem.
5: Makubela says President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed's appointment in early August of former Al-Shabaab deputy leader Mukhtar Robo as religious affairs minister may be a signal that negotiations could happen soon. Mukta
6: Abdu was kept in prison for quite some time during the elections because he has a lot of support within his clan elders
5: and I think... Um, But for talks to begin, says the analyst, the insurgents would need to stop their attacks, with the Somali government and U.S. forces subsequently halting their targeting of al-Shabaab leaders. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
1: The United States has accused Russia of using mercenaries to exploit Africa's natural resources and commit human rights violations. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield said yesterday that Kremlin is using the Wagner Group and that, in her words, these ill-gotten gains... I used to fund Moscow's war machine in Africa, the Middle East, and Ukraine. Make no mistake, she said, people across Africa are paying a heavy price. Reuters notes that the Wagner Group is made up of Russian military veterans who are involved in several countries, including Mali, the Central African Republic, Libya, and Syria. Thomas Greenfield made her remarks at a meeting of the U.N. Security Council on the financing of armed groups through illicit trafficking of natural resources in Africa. Uganda is preparing to receive 100 doses of a trial vaccine to prevent further spread of the Ebola Sudan strain that's responsible for a growing outbreak. The vaccine is to be administered to immediate contacts of Ebola victims. Catherine Nambi reports from Kampala.
7: Unlike the Ebola Zaire strain, which has a vaccine and known therapeutics, the World Health Organization, WHO, says the Sudan strain has no known vaccine. A number are being devolved. One from the U.S. National Institute of Health and Sabine Vaccine Institute is being fronted for clinical trials in Uganda as soon as possible. Dr. Yonas Tegan Waldemarium is the WHO representative to Uganda.
0: There are two out of the eight candidate vaccines. There is a Safety data on two of the vaccines, and one of them is far more advanced than the other in having the data. Uh, there is uh, currently a Ugandan scientists and international scientists looking into uh, deploying the vaccine. We do not have sufficient data to deploy it in a large, and and the supply is not there.
7: He says. The vaccine is on trial, so only a few doses, about 100, will be imported into Uganda. Because the virus is so contagious, they mainly will be for people who have recently come into contact with Ebola victims.
0: Currently, the study protocol is looking into the immediate contacts of cases as uh, the potential candidates for this study. Partly, it's because we have a small amount of the vaccine, And it's important to establish its uh, uh, efficacy uh, by doing that study. Uh, If we succeed, it will be a big uh, breakthrough in uh, having additional tools to control uh, this strain of Ebola, uh, Ebola Sudan.
7: Dr. Waldemariam is hopeful that once all formalities are concluded for importation of the vaccine, it will be available in Uganda quickly.
0: As soon as the, uh, the import license is received from the National Drug Authority, the scientific committees have approved the protocol. Uh, I think the, the vaccine would be imported into Uganda, hopefully uh, within less than a week, but it might take a week to two weeks. We can promise or with what we know is as soon as these formalities are read, when uh, addressed, they would, uh, the vaccine would be in the country.
7: In three weeks of battling the highly hemorrhagic fever, Uganda has registered 43 cases and nine deaths, four of which are medics. According to the Ministry of Health, about eight people have been discharged from Ebola treatment units. About 800 people who came into contact with Ebola patients are being followed up by health workers. The disease was first reported on the 20th of September and has spread to three other neighboring districts so far. This is Catherine Nambi for VN News in Kampala.
1: In South Africa, many cities are starting to ration water in the middle of power cuts that go on for nine hours per day in some areas. Three of the country's top cities are affected. to Sokumalo reports from Johannesburg.
8: In a statement issued to the media, Rand Water, the bulk supplier of water in Johannesburg, said the increased demand has depleted water storage from 52 to 38 percent. This means the reservoirs are quickly running dry. Under restrictions imposed by the city of Johannesburg, residents are prohibited from watering their gardens during the day. No one is allowed to fill their swimming pool with municipal water. The use of horses to wash cars and pavement is now an offense. Motalatale Modiba from the Houghton Department of Health told the media that the tapes have already run dry at two of the city's major hospitals, namely Helen Joseph and Rahima Musa. It has obviously put a bit of a strain on healthcare workers, as they grapple with how best to manage the situation, especially given that uh, you're dealing with with, with, uh, people's lives. And obviously, when people come to hospitals, you want to make their stay there as comfortable as possible. Authorities say the current heat wave has been a huge contributing factor to the shortage. Daryl Johnson, the mayoral committee member for utilities in the city of Tswane, told journalists that they are monitoring the situation.
5: We need to encourage residents to assist us as much as possible, to conserve water as much as as they possibly can.
0: Uh, That really is the the single biggest uh, uh, contributor that will make a difference within the city. Uh, We do have mitigation uh, measures in place if they are needed, but uh, at this stage we don't believe that those will be required.
8: Uh... Mike Muller is a visiting adjunct professor at the witz University School of Governance. He told the media that the water problem has been left to continue for too long. He says although this could change once the country starts receiving rain, it is important to avoid day zero, a point where there will be no water at
6: all at the times. Every October, before it starts raining, when it gets hot, people use a lot of water and we find different areas of our cities. Uh, begin to be short and if you're on the top of a hill they run out. If you've got lots of uh, water towers and water reservoirs around your city but lots of people are using too much water they will run dry and then there will be water cuts.
8: Authorities have already started sending tankers to some areas accompanied with messages for residents to use water sparingly. South Africa is categorized as a water scarce country. Cities like Cape Town have once come close to day zero, where there is completely no water. Water problems in South Africa come at a time when the country is experiencing serious power cuts that have seen some areas go up to nine hours a day without electricity. To Sokumalo for VOA News, Johansbeck.
2: Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
9: The risk of conflict-induced famine and widespread food insecurity is upon us, according to the United Nations. Today, 345 million people in 80 countries are marching towards starvation. We can clearly see how conflict is causing hunger across the world, said U.S. Representative to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Four areas in particular are now projected to face widespread and catastrophic levels of food insecurity. Ethiopia, Northeast. Nigeria, Yemen, and South Sudan. In Ethiopia, 20 million people are facing food insecurity. Farms have been damaged and looted. Harvest in Tigray, for example, produced half their typical output last year, and supply lines have been severely disrupted. We call on the government of Ethiopia, the Tigrayan authorities, and all parties to allow unhindered delivery of humanitarian relief, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. In northeast Nigeria, over 4 million people will experience high levels of food insecurity. Almost 8 million people in a country that is rich in resources. We call on the government of South Sudan to issue a decree mandating the free, unimpeded, unhindered movement of humanitarian assistance and protection for humanitarian workers. It is time for all parties to end hostilities. In Yemen, the truce has brought some relief to civilians, but it has not been enough to reverse one of the world's most desperate humanitarian crises, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. Over 19 million are facing food insecurity. In South Sudan, over 60% of the population will experience crisis or worse levels of acute food insecurity. The severity in some areas is the highest we've seen in almost a decade. Farmers are worried about being attacked. They're abandoning their farms. That means fewer farms and fewer crops and more displacement and more suffering. Finally, parts of Somalia are teetering on the edge of famine. For our part, since February, the United States has provided over $5.7 billion in humanitarian assistance to food security operations. But we know we can't do this alone, and we know it's not enough, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. We will continue to use every diplomatic tool in our arsenal to tackle the food insecurity crisis head on. And we call on every other country to do the same. While the challenge can feel overwhelming, we must remain focused and we must stop famine before it happens.
6: That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
1: And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro and our engineer, Justin Twaite, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.